Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Tuesday, November the 27th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we go over some of the questionable decisions from Sunday's defeat, discuss Adam Gaze's tenure so far, and how it's propped up on some shaky legs, discuss potential candidates if this season goes belly up, and finish up with my depressing mark in live attendance at Dolphins games. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. That helps the podcast grow. Get out to more Dolphins. It helps us more than you can possibly know. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the LockedOn Network. And we're going to go over my latest piece for LockedOnDolphins.com in this podcast, talking about Adam Gaze's three years in Miami so far. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams, let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins And first down on today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you by Action Heat. And we're going over the Dolphins and Colts game just to kind of put a bow on it. We'll put a complete bow on it tomorrow with the comprehensive film study of the game. But first, let's go over some of just the numbers from the game and try to figure out where things went wrong for the Dolphins because they did have control of this game going into the fourth quarter. Obviously a 10-point lead, right around 13 and a half minutes left to play. But you go over the entirety of the game, and really Miami got outplayed. And that's what happens when you have a 3-1 to turnover differential, a blocked punt. That's how teams get propped up into winning games. And if you go back to Sunday, playing the game at the same time, the Broncos and Steelers had a similar discrepancy in terms of total yards and overall production. But the Broncos come away winners because they win the turnover battle 4-1 to against the Steelers and take that game. So what happened in this one for the Dolphins? Well, both teams fumbled the ball twice. Both teams lost one of those fumbles. The Colts had three turnovers. The Dolphins had just the one. I mentioned the block punt. Both teams were pretty even in the penalty department. Dolphins had 10 for 75. Colts had 7 for 52. And third downs, almost exactly the same. 4 for 11 for Miami, 4 for 12 for the Colts. The Colts did, however, convert 2 out of 2 fourth downs. And you go back to the one fourth down where they converted on a pass to Andrew Luck, which to me was a very dumb call by the offense because, yeah, you got the first down, but you also... Almost got your starting quarterback hurt when Rashad Jones got a free shot at the exposed ribs of Andrew Luck and putting their starting quarterback in harm's way for one first down that, let's be honest, doesn't really define the entire season. But you go over the the total yards for the Colts on the day. They had 455 yards in this game, which makes Adam Gaze's decision to put the ball back in Andrew Luck's hands even more mind-numbing. And what's even more head-scratching than that is the fact that on Monday... During Adam Gase's press conference availability, 
uh, with the media, Gaze stood by his decision to put the ball back in the hands of Andrew Luck. And there was a great thread up on Twitter by Chris Kaufman, one of the guys we reference on this podcast more than anybody else. I will always give praise to the guys that do the hard work and put out great numbers like CK does. And he mentioned some of the success rates compared to fail rates on that particular play, on that particular drive. And third and long equals about 25% success rate for the offense. And he also determined that the complete catastrophe rate of those particular plays is about 8%, meaning a big sack, a turnover, whatever you want to call a catastrophe in that situation. But I go back to that point and say, well, if the Dolphins turn the ball over there, that's a better outcome than if they did what they did. Because if the Colts get the ball at the Dolphins 10 or 15, 20 yard line, whatever it is, they probably score a lot faster. And I was even telling the defense to let the let the Colts score with the last two minutes or the last part of that drive there with about a minute and a half left. Because with kicking a field goal with no time on the clock gives you no hope. Opposed to getting the touchdown score on you with about a minute and a half left, you at least have the hope of going down the field and scoring a touchdown. But nonetheless, here the Dolphins are on the wrong side of it once again. And more Adam Gaze issues persist in this game. I know we love what Frank Gore has done for this team and throughout the course of the year been one of the more reliable backs. He gets 14 carries for 67 yards right around where he's been all season. A little bit better than 3 yards per carry, less than 4 yards per carry. But Kenyon Drake gets 13 touches and that includes the passing game. Plays less snaps than Frank Gore on the day. And Kenyon Drake goes for 96 yards and 2 scores in the game on those 13 touches. Yet he's a split back with Frank Gore. I think if you had uh, Kenyon Drake starting getting about 65 to 70% of the reps and Frank Gore being the spell guy, I would be much more inclined to have the Dolphins do that. Yet here we are and they're not going to do it relying on the old man who has had a great year. Don't put that past Frank Gore, but Kenyon Drake needs more work, especially going into his fourth season in when he's going to be in a contract year next season. Now, the questionable decisions, the third and long, I talked about those. Ryan Tannehill wasn't happy with it. He said himself he wishes he had the ball in his hand. Frank Gore talked about it on the podcast yesterday. We mentioned his quote saying how that's not how you finish a game, how Andrew Luck's the one that finished the game, and the beat writers for the Dolphins all said the locker room was not a fun place to be post-game on Sunday, as you could well imagine. So this team really... You know, they really surprised me the way they played. I thought a lot of guys had good games. Rashad Jones is pretty good in this game. Ryan Tannehill, I thought, was good in this game. I'll go over his film uh, tomorrow and get the film chart for you guys, the passing chart for Ryan Tannehill down, and get all those numbers put together. The offensive line had some good performances. Laramie Tunzel is still really, really good. Defensively, I thought Jerome Baker was out of place in some plays, but he continues to show me he's the best linebacker on this team. Xavier Howard absolutely lights out in that game. So, Plenty of good to take away from that game. But once again, the end result, as Adam Gase said himself, undoes all the good you did in that game. And I can't believe that he's surprised by that because that's the nature of the business. But later in the podcast here, we're going to talk about what Adam Gase has done throughout the three years of his career and how results have actually propped him up from poor process, poor management, and poor poor coaching. Excuse me. And we'll put a complete bow on this game tomorrow with the Ryan Tannehill passing chart and the comprehensive film study. But next on the podcast, we'll discuss the contents of my article up on LockedOnDolphins.com titled, Adam Gase Proving You Are Not What Your Record Says You Are. But first, a word from Action Heat. 
This episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast is sponsored by Action Heat. Action Heat makes the world's best battery-heated clothing with heat on demand at the touch of a button. Control your environment with Action Heat. Personally, I am always freezing cold. Maybe it's because I'm skinny. Maybe it's because I live in a harsh climate. But something like Action Heat can save even me from the harsh elements of the outside weather. You can reach temperatures of up to 135 degrees with a rechargeable 5-volt lithium-ion battery that lasts Last up to 12 hours on each charge. And Action Heat batteries can also be used to recharge your phone or any other gadget while you're wearing them. Multifunctional. Perfect for any friend or family on your holiday gift list and great for anybody that loves to attend cold football games outside, skiers and snowboarders, or people that work in the harsh elements. Action Heat provides toasty warmth and comfort for your whole entire body, including heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns. Stay warm and cozy this winter from head to toe with Action Heat. They have clothes available in men's and women's and have great new styles and models released just in time for the winter season. Make winter activities more enjoyable with a blast of warmth from Action Heat, the perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm even in the most frigid winter weather. And for a limited time, we've got a special deal for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. Just go to actionheat.com slash locked on, one word, locked on, to check out everything Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com slash locked on, or use the coupon code locked on at checkout to save 20%. Stay toasty and warm while you enjoy all your outdoor activities this winter with Action Heat, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Call it a heel turn, call it negativity, call it whatever you want, but I don't want to say my eyes have been open to it. I think I'm just more ready to accept the fact that maybe this coaching change has to happen, and I hate it because back in 2015, I was more disconnected from this football team than I've ever been, more so than 2007 after the 1-15 in year. Perhaps I was young and naive and still had the memories of the early 2000s and late 90s in the back of my mind. But in 2015, when Joe Philbin got fired after four games, they promoted Dan Campbell, had the two awesome wins, and then went right back to being a shit football team. I really checked out that year. And maybe it's because I met my fiance that winter. Whatever it was, I just couldn't do it anymore. I remember that Baltimore Ravens game. I didn't even watch that game. The Indianapolis Colts game. I didn't want to watch that either. Terrible offensive play. The same stuff over and over again. An unimaginative offensive scheme. A defense that was firing everybody left and right. I just checked out. And I didn't think I would get pulled back in as hard as I did, but I really believed in Adam Gaze. And the first column I ever wrote for Perfectville when I actually got back into writing was talking about how you should buy into what Adam Gaze is selling because he said the right things. He had the support of so many other people around him, like John Elway, like Peyton Manning, like Wes Welker, like Nick Saban. And what does that all mean? It really doesn't mean anything. And you go back to what Joe Philbin's introductory comments were that really brought me into Joe Philbin too, talking about how passer rating differential was what the Dolphins had to get better at in order to succeed, in order to win, in order to go to the postseason. And it's great to say that stuff, but actions speak louder than words. And I think that's kind of where I'm getting on Adam Gaze. And I'm going to go over this article that I wrote for you guys up on LockedOnDolphins.com regarding Adam Gaze's tenure here in Miami and how really he's getting a pass for his 21 and 22 record, which is funny because that's not good enough because he's getting this pass with these victories 
that really don't say a whole lot about the process or about the ability of the team. It might have more to do with the fact that the opposition just flat out blew those games. So let's go ahead and look at some key numbers to the Adam Gaze era here. And I bolded this point in the article. Once again, Adam Gaze proving you are not what your record says you are. Stealing the line there from Bill Parcells, who, let's be honest, those ancient sayings really don't apply to modern day football. People will try to make them apply, but they don't. And in the modern day and age, we have all this advanced metrics, data, analytics, whatever you want to call it. There is so much more available to us that just focusing on a win-loss record, something that occurs in a three-hour window every Sunday, instead of looking at the entire process from Sunday through Saturday, the preparation, the work that goes into that, it's just awfully short-sighted. So you look at some of the numbers beyond the numbers, and the point differential we all know is not good, but you look at what it is in victories for this team. They have a plus 153 point in, in victories, which is 7.7 points per win. And that's, I guess, not terrible, but in the losses, they are negative 342. That's 16.3 points per loss in those defeats. And the Dolphins have won just three games out of the 21 by two scores. That's nine points or more, just three times. How many games have they lost by multiple scores? 16. So the discrepancy is quite vast. And when you put these games individually under a microscope, you really begin to see how maybe it was luck. And that happens in the NFL. Luck is a huge factor in the NFL. Take the Broncos and Steelers game I mentioned earlier. Take the Dolphins and Colts and how the Dolphins really didn't outplay the Colts, but had a chance to beat them late. Turnovers, bad bounces on fumbles, weird punts, muffed punts. Look at Tremont Williams in the Packers game on Sunday. Weird things happen in football. The ball is shaped weird and the talent level is so high that the strangest of things can shift the game. And you look at the overall numbers of Adam Gaze's offense here in Miami first before we get into those games. And that's supposed to be his saving grace because he puts no attention, no effort, no really interest at all into the defense, just left it up to Vance Joseph and now Matt Burke, which hasn't worked out for anybody. But Adam Gaze's offense's best ranks were in 2016 when they were 17th in scoring and 17th in total offense. Last year, 25th in total offense, 28th in scoring. And now this year, just reverse those numbers, 25th in scoring and 28th in total production. So his saving grace is supposed to be as a play caller, but we saw that go out the window on Sunday as many fans have brought to the attention of many of us throughout the course of the last couple of years. Play calling not been great. The play, the plan on offense hasn't been good. They finally broke the 20 game streak of no first possession touchdowns. So there is just so many things that go against Adam Gaze and what he does well as an offensive mind hasn't gone well in Miami. And you look at the point differentials in these victories. I'm going to read off the numbers for you guys real quick. These are the point differentials in Miami wins. How many points they won by? 6, 15, 3, 4, 7, 4, 7, 3, 3, 21, 2, 6, 3, 3, 7, 26, 7, 8, 8, 3, and 7. That's the 153 points they have outscored their opponents by in victories. Now in losses, here are the numbers. 2, 7, 15, 13, 32, 21, 14, 20, 40, 3, 24, 10, 18, 8, 16, 6, 31, 11, 19, 3, 10, and 19. That is awful. They get blown out almost on all their losses. They really don't have close losses and the ones they do win are close wins. And that brings us into the final point here on the Adam Gaze probably should go tour that I suddenly subscribed to after really fighting it for the last, 
I don't know, eight weeks, two years, maybe even. I'm going to go over some of these games the Dolphins definitely should have lost. 2016 against the Browns. Cody Parkey misses two field goals, one at the buzzer for 46 yards. NFL kickers make that kick 85% of the time. He also missed a 42-yard field goal earlier in the game. That Browns team won one game in two years, by the way. Would have been two if Cody Parkey had hit one field goal. 2017, opening day against the Chargers. Young Ho Koo, I almost pronounce that wrong every time, misses two kicks himself. Both had a 90% success rate across the NFL league-wide, a 43-yarder and a 44-yarder to end the game that would have given the Chargers a two-point win, or excuse me, a one-point win in that game. 2016 at Buffalo, Rex Ryan punts the ball on a fourth and two with four minutes to go in overtime, and he had to have a win to have a chance at the playoffs. If the Dolphins tied that game themselves, they wouldn't have gone to the playoffs. So if Buffalo converts two yards on that play, Miami probably never sees the ball on offense again with a chance to score. However, the next play, Jay Ajayi runs a 57-yard run against a Bills defense that has just 10 men on the field. And then Andrew Franks, who had had a career long of 41 yards previous to that, hits a 55-yard game-tying field goal. You guys all remember that. That was a great moment in Dolphins history, but it was lucky. 2018, this year against the Bears, Albert Wilson, two catches, 104 yards after the catch, both go for touchdowns against a Bears defense that we all know was gassed, and that wasn't the actual Bears defense. They should have been behind 28-14 after that questionable OPI call on Trey Burton. Nonetheless, the next play, Mitch Trubisky throws a pick and saves the Dolphins. 2017 against the Titans, Marcus Mariota misses one game that year. It's that game. Before Rashad Jones's fumble return for a touchdown, they had a touchdown called back on an offensive pass interference that was a terrible call and would have swung that game. Dolphins beat Matt Castle 16-10 in a terrible showing. So that's five games that I can definitively say the Dolphins won purely on luck, purely on the other team's shortcomings, purely on missed kicks by the other team. So if you take those five games away from Adam Gaze, that suddenly makes him 16 and 28. How good is that? And you go down the list, there's plenty more that really could be in that category, but I tried to be favorable to Adam Gaze in that. 2016 at San Diego, Chargers at the 42-yard line with a chance to get 10 more yards, kick a field goal, beat the Dolphins, end the playoff dream right there, but then Kiko Alonso makes the big play. I, I don't know how much that really says about coaching. It really was a gaffe by the Chargers. 2017 in Atlanta, Falcons about to score a game-winning touchdown. Rashad Jones makes a huge play. This year against Oakland, Derek Carr throws that pick on first down. There's plenty of games I put in there. There's coin flip games that could have gone either way I add to the list there. So all things told, there are 12 games in the column. I'll let you guys check out the rest on LockedOnDolphins.com. Adam Gaze proving you are not what your record says you are. And I think it's unfair to say all 12 of those games should have been losses because then we're talking about a coach that's 8-33. and 33. Oof, that would be terrible. But... I think if you just take away the six and call him 18 and 26, that right there gives you an idea of what he's been. Far worse than Philbin, far worse than Sperano. And the results just kind of tell you that. Don't focus on the wins and losses. This team has really not been good the last three years, despite the fact that the record says they've been average. All right, we got more on the podcast coming up, including some possible head coach replacements, some veteran quarterbacks we might be looking at, as well as my personal record in attending Dolphins games live as I'm heading this week to the Buffalo game and next week to the Patriots game. We'll do all that next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Lockdown Fins.
Coaching change talk, quarterback change talk, what's new in Miami, Bill Murray, Groundhog's Day, same story every single year, and it feels like we are headed right back for the same fate that both Tony Sperano, rest in peace, and Cam, not Cam Cameron, and Joe Philbin led us to after four years of failure, so we'll see what happens at the end of this year if Adam Gay survives Black Monday. We still have five more games to get that stuff sorted out, and we'll talk about some games I've attended here in a minute, but first, let's talk about some of these options to go ahead and fill out Adam Gay if he is dismissed, which I don't think he will be, but it's a possibility, I suppose. I put it on Twitter. Lincoln Riley, the hottest college coach in football right now. Joel Klatt, the Fox analyst, said that he is the Sean McVay of college ball. He is my number one choice. You have both the Harbaugh brothers. I know a lot of people are rubbed the wrong way by them, but it's hard to argue Jim Harbaugh's success both at San Francisco and now at Michigan, even though they cannot beat Ohio State. John Harbaugh, it's kind of the same story, kind of fallen on hard times recently, but they have been saddled with some terrible offensive drafting. So I think he's probably better than what his record says he is just like the converse of Adam Gase. John Filippo gets offensive production wherever he goes, both Philadelphia, now Minnesota, Nick Foles, Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins, whoever it is, he has the offenses humming. Cliff Kingsbury, the Texas Tech coach, I don't know much about what he would bring to the table. I've always liked him as far as his offensive plans, but we'll see what happens with him. And then Eric Bieniemy is the next guy in line under the Andy Reid tree. Matt Nagy having a bunch of success right now in Chicago. Eric Bieniemy could maybe get the most out of Kenyon Drake and Jakeem Grant, I would hope, maybe. Probably going to have to bring in a quarterback to run that scheme, but those are some choices. And While I find it fun to discuss possible changes in light of some of this poor coaching we've seen the last few weeks, the last couple of years, the reality is that's likely not going to happen. Instead, I imagine 2019 could possibly get even worse before things start to get better, as I assume the Dolphins will pursue one of several veterans that are sure to hit the free agent market this coming offseason. Ryan Tannehill is an option in there still. Joe Flacco is probably going to be out in Baltimore. Andy Dalton might be out in Cincinnati. Derek Carr could be out in Oakland. Teddy Bridgewater is still out there. Probably my favorite of that bunch. Actually, absolutely my favorite of that bunch. But I could see the Dolphins pursuing any of those guys, and that would suck if it was the first three on that list. But maybe they'll bottom out. Maybe they'll get a high draft pick for 2020 in that loaded quarterback class. Who knows? I don't want to root for it, but maybe that's what's best. Fortunately, how we root has no impact on the outcomes. And since I am going to the game on Sunday in Buffalo or at home against the Buffalo Bills, I would never go to Buffalo. And then again, the following Sunday at home for the Patriots, I wanted to talk about my terrible results in attending Dolphins games. I've been to four in my life, two of those out here in Seattle, two of them at home at Hard Rock Stadium, Dolphin Stadium, whatever the hell it was when they changed the name 13 times. My first ever game was back in 2003. The Dolphins were, I think, eight and six. I forget the record. Maybe it was seven and six. I can't remember. Seven and five, I think it was actually. And they had to beat the Eagles to stay alive in the playoff chase. And I'll never forget the very first play of the game. Donovan McNabb goes deep to Todd Pinkston. And there was a heftier guy sitting right next to me. I was a 16-year-old child. And he put his pinky in my face and said, Pinky! I'll never forget it. Eagles fans were were as obnoxious as ever that night as the Eagles cruised to a win over the Dolphins and essentially ended the season. So 0 for 1. The next year, I get tickets to go to the 2004 game at Seattle when A.J. Feely started and hurt his butt in the game. He got an injured butt in the game and had to come out. So that's how fun that game was. They end up losing on an interception at the end of the game to Michael Bulware of the Seahawks and the Dolphins fell to like 2-11 and at the time. I didn't go for another four years. 2008, the Wildcat year, the fun season. I went to Miami for the Patriots game, 
But unfortunately, Matt Castle and Randy Moss destroyed the Dolphins' defense that day and smoked Chad Pennington and the Dolphins. So now I'm 0-3. And then eight years later, I go to a game in Seattle once again, the opener in 2016, and the Dolphins get a late lead. I am losing my mind, absolutely losing my mind after Ryan Tannehill runs that draw into the end zone. Three minutes left in the game. Dolphins have the lead. I think we're going to win that game. But sure enough, Russell Wilson gets the ball last and does what he does best and throws that corner route to Doug Baldwin to beat Bobby McCain and the Miami Dolphins. And I am 0-4 in Dolphins games. So again, I will be in attendance at the game on Sunday. If you guys want to meet up, I'll probably be on the field pregame before we head up to the press box and get our seat there with the Dolphins. And if you guys want to meet up, I'm more than happy to find anybody. We're staying in Hollywood. I'll be there all week with not really much to do. So hit me up on Twitter if you want to hang out. Grab a beer. We are open. Me and Jason Harina, my staff lead writer at Locked On Dolphins, will be there all week with no plan. So please hit us up. Let's meet up and do something. But as for this podcast... That is going to be my time today. You guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show, at Locked On Fins, and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys enjoy the rest of your night. Back tomorrow with the film recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.